You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Hello there, I'm Sharon Noonan and you're very welcome to the second helping show of The Best Possible Taste when you get the chance to hear again some previously aired interviews. And on this programme they will be with Marion Hughes from Unislim, Connor Heavey about the International Marketing Fellowship, Cancer Survivor Patricia Daly and Kenmare Foodie Karen Coakley. Feel free to contact Best Possible Taste at any time by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now it's time for the first second helpings interview and it's with Marion Hughes from Unislim. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Marianne, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thank you very much. Thanks a million for coming in. You don't live too far away. You're based in West Limerick. And where do you, you run your Unislim classes at? I run my classes in Shanagolden and Abbeyfield. Um, I've run six classes at the minute, so it is busy. And how long have you been a leader? Three years. I started around this time three years ago. I had run my first class in April, so I started training at this time. So, And to be a Unislim leader, you have to have gone through Unislim yourself. You had to have lost um, weight okay. overall. Um, I started my journey with a different slimming club and finished and now continued it with Unislim. But yeah, okay. you have to have gone through a weight loss journey yourself. Well, there are a lot of weight loss clubs out there. So what is unique about Unislim? Unislim has a different approach to helping people to lose weight. It's not just about teaching them how to lose weight. It's about teaching them how to eat differently so they keep their weight off in a healthy manner. It's not just about, oh, I need to lose a stone, so I'm going to go and lose a stone. We teach people how to keep that stone off for life um, once they stay with us and, you know, how to change their lifestyle, not just about learning how to lose weight. So it's a different approach that way. Like I've been to a few different clubs myself over the years and there's weighing of the food and there's points and it it can all sound quite complicated to somebody that has maybe never looked at it before. So just run me through, somebody arrives at Unislim for the first time, what is the process? So they come through They come through as normal the first time and they meet a social member who will sign them up and put them through, go through a little bit with them and then they'll come up to me and they'll weigh in first of all and we'll go through what their weight is and we won't set a huge amount of targets at the start because sometimes that can put people off. And then we will go through, there'll be a motivational talk and then we'll talk through the plan from start to finish. And the plan is very much based around cooking from scratch, you know, um, eating well and having everything in your diet, not not just about eating vegetables or eating fruit. It's about having everything there, including your something nice, your treats, all that. So we go through all that with a member and try and make them feel comfortable and let them know that, you know, they're not alone now on this. And it's a very much once they leave, they have 24-7 contact with me outside of their classes as well. So that's that's unique as well to Unislim. So it's about making them feel comfortable and making them realise they're not in it on, on their own. That must be very demanding, though, uh, letting people have your mobile number and say, look, I'm ring me any time that that chocolate biscuit is calling you. It is. <laughs> and it do people use it a lot? Um, by text a lot. Really? Sometimes they get phone, but we are also on Facebook and they can access our, us on Facebook. So when you become a Unislim leader, you become aware of that. But having gone through the process myself for years, I was slimming for 10 years, putting it on and putting it off. And I've just decided that they need to help. People just don't need to go in, do a class and walk out and be left alone. You need somebody there to help you out. Some people never contact me. Some people then do, depending on what they need. So you're saying there about people coming to a class and then walking out. Like a lot of people just slide in that door to get weighed and then they're gone again. So how important is it to stay for the motivational talk? I never put any pressure on anyone because I understand people's lives are busy. But... The difference you get between staying for that talk and sliding out the door is totally different. And the people who are staying are definitely getting more from it because they're talking, they're chatting with people around them and then I'm giving them the motivation they need to head away for the week. And you'll always pick up something. And I have people who are with me now for three years and they have gone to every class, stayed for every talk. They're free slimmers now and they still come for every talk because they say, I couldn't be without my talk. I need that talk for the week. And sometimes people just can't and I understand that, but they know they have to. And now I've just started doing emails and stuff. So they have a bit more support again if they can't because people have kids and people are going on shift work and it's understandable. But that motivational talk will just be, we'll have a bit of fun, we'll have a laugh. And people go away 
feeling different, especially if they've had a bad week. Is so important. Is uni slim? It's not about points. Is it about portions? Like how does it work? What's its ethos? We're very much about portion sizes. We do control carbs. Um, it's the one thing that we say to people, you have to control those more. And we do, there's a certain allowance of carbs, but you can have any sort of carb as long as you stay within a portion. And apart from that, then it's making sure that you have plenty of vegetables. It's one of the things I can't get across enough. Veg is really important and plenty of protein, but everything else is, you know, within reason stay within the plan. I think it's quite interesting how Unislim started up because it was a woman in Uri, wasn't it? It was Agnes McCourt, 44 years now, and she started up in her sitting room. She had had a baby, was trying to lose weight, couldn't find support, and literally invited a couple of her friends into her sitting room, and that's where it started. A couple of friends became more ladies and more la- and next thing it was just, she had to take on someone to help her out, and had to take on someone to help her out, and we still meet her she still comes to our workshops she's amazing and now her daughter runs the company but it's it's Irish and she started it in her sitting room yeah. it's amazing and she looks amazing herself stunning yeah and, and her daughter looks amazing as well yeah, I've seen photographs just, of them yeah, yeah they are amazing and that's great to hear that they still they're out and about they're meeting the people that keep the organisation go well, for we them we would speak to Fiona and she's we can contact her at any time it's not like she's up there in her office or we can ring her we can contact her at any time she's always available and like that she comes to all our meetings she's part very much part and parcel and Agnes would come to the meetings and if she has something that she wants to tell us she'll tell us which is great and you know she keeps us on our toes all the time which is great but it's lovely to meet the person who founded the company and she's never gone away from it and still like you said Fiona she's very fit she's very into how she looks and how she feels and she's all very positive she's very much about positivity it's so amazing to meet them all the time because we'll meet them now again in March we have workshops we have four workshops every year we just had a big summit two weeks ago and they were there and they're always there. They and they're always reinventing the company and reinvigorating it and making sure that they're totally on the ball whenever it comes with healthy eating. She, They are on this all the time. They have just combined with Gala and they're going to be doing their sandwiches now um, and they're going to be teaching their staff in their delis how to make sandwiches in, a, in the Unislim style, which is healthy. You know, they're, you're going to be able to go into your garage and just pick one, go to, up to the counter and the staff will, will know there. And they're going to be running that all over the country. They're launching it in 41st, but then they're going to be going out all over the country. We're constantly, there's a new big, um, for members, we're, going, we're currently launching, um, I think it'll be in about March or April, an online system again, and a further online system for members where they can go on and actually watch their weight go down and graphs. And it's going to be an online hub and it's, it never stops. She's forever trying to reinvent the wheel. And it is so a, important. It's a very good website. It's a very informative website. There is, there's rest and obviously details about all the different clubs like there's lots of, of different information on there yeah and it's constant um, they're always trying to think up something new like they're always contacting the leaders is there anything we can put up there it just never stops and they're forever and it's a small group in head office there's only five or six and they are forever trying to bring on the company in different ways to try and make it easier for people to access it and to make it more friendly well, tell us about your classes. When are your classes on and where do you run them? So I run classes in Shannon Golden on a Wednesday night and on a Thursday morning. And the Wednesday night classes, there's a regular class and then there's a Maloney class straight after that. Is that popular? Very popular. I have, between my two Maloney classes and my regular classes, I'm weighing about 60 men now. Wow, that's incredible. Is, and uh, we have great news in that one of our men is about to actually come on as a male leader. Fantastic. He's currently in training. He started at the weekend and he's got another weekend of training and he's taking over the Maloney class in Abbey Field. He's the first man in this area. He lost eight stone himself. So it's, it's incredible. a phenomenal story. But he only started this time last year as a member. And he's lost eight stone he's in a year. lost eight stone. He just was in, a mag- in our magazine two weeks ago but I was kind of pushed him and questioned him and moved him along and so did his wife and he now is a leader and he'll be taking over the class as of next week so it's fantastic but the men for so long it was a woman orientated business and it's all about the women and women are always looking at their waistlines but men have become more and more and more conscious and because we don't just deal with fitting into dresses or losing a stone we're all about the health the men have really come on and it's just grown and grown and grown 
great. Fantastic class. And then I have classes in Abbey Field on Thursday evening, the regular class and then the men's class. And then I have a Friday morning class in Abbey Field that starts at 8.30. So it is a busy, 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 busy time. How much is it to join? Do you, do you pay a joining fee and then you pay every week? It's 20 euro to join. We've just finished. We had a month there where it was actually just 10 euro to join. And now we're going back to the regular prices, 20. And then it's 10 euro a week after that. But as I was saying to some of the members recently, once you hit your targets, you're free then for life. So, you know, the likes of Paul, who did it for 12 months, lost eight stone. I said it would have cost him 520 euro for the 12 months. But that's it for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And that's the investment. And I know sometimes people will say, why are you wasting your money? And I know it goes, because I hear, you know, I was in the, I was a member for long enough. And uh, I say, it's not. You're going to spend it on a takeaway. You're going to spend it on something else. But it's an investment for the rest of your life. Or in a gym membership that you don't yeah. use. And as I often say, and this week's talks, I'm talking about exercise, but I, you cannot outrun a diet. And you can join gyms and you might, you may or may not use them. But, you know, everything has to work and we try and work it all. But 10 euro and you get 24-7 support outside of that, if you wish. So it's, um, it's well worth it. Where is the best place to direct people if they want to find out more information and get details about your classes? Well, I would say unisim.com, number one. Um, that is our website and all the classes are up there because, you know, I'm in Chenegold and you might want to go to Newcastle. All the classes are up there. Or then Facebook. We're, we are all over Facebook all the time. It never stops. So um, I have a Facebook page, which is Unislim, Chenegold and Abbey Field. And then there's the Newcastle West page and there's classes everywhere where there's going to be a class launching in Tarbert in two weeks time on the 15th of February we have a new class opening again so you know it's they're everywhere and it's just to go on and have a look and see who, which one suits you and even if you want to move around if you're a person who's on the road you can go to all the classes once you register at one so you don't have to just stay going to one you can go to night classes morning classes and move them to suit yourself and get into your life there's great flexibility with it and it is all about healthy eating and adopting a different lifestyle and maintaining maintaining it as you say which I think is a very good way to to approach it for so long we were just taught how to lose weight but now we have to learn that losing weight isn't what it's all about it's all about adopting a healthy lifestyle for the future. Well, Marion, thanks so much on behalf of all those people that you're keeping them light on the scales. You're doing a great job. And thanks for coming in to tell me thanks about for it. Me in. Thanks a million. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Lovely to hear that chat again with Marion. If you are just tuning in, this episode of Best Possible Taste is a second helping show. So all of the interviews have been aired on a previous date. Still to come on the show, that interview with cancer survivor Patricia Daly and a recipe with Kenmare foodie Karen Coakley. Before that, it's time to recall the time I spoke to Conor Heafy about the International Marketing Fellowship and although the application deadline may have passed, this course runs annually so be sure to take a note of the contact details and look it up online for up-to-date info. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Connor, it's great to have you on the programme again this year because last year you were on and you told us all about the the graduate programme that you do there. Just remind us what it's about, please. Yes, Sharon, uh, we're now recruiting for 20 to 25 people to join the Bourbia Marketing Fellowship Programme. And this is run in partnerships in partnership with ourselves at UCD Smurfett School in Dublin. And we're looking for people with a minimum of two or three years professional experience doesn't have to be from a food background um, and they would complete a master's MSc in international marketing practice and the program combines classroom based learning along with substantial overseas experience which is great um, and, and each person works with four Irish food and drink companies in one overseas market and I should add that tuition fees are fully paid for as it's a scholarship program um, participants are given a bursary of uh, just under €23,000 to, li- to live off for the 12-month programme. Next intake starts in June. Now, you said there that they have to have about two years' work experience, and although it doesn't need to be in the, the food industry, I'm sure that is, is a huge help. Do they have to have any certain qualifications? Like, do they have to have a degree, for example? Yes. Um, the vast majority would be graduates with a degree, um, although if somebody has substantial experience well then they wouldn't be excluded necessarily on that that ground um so generally speaking we're looking for people who are 
uh, ambitious, who have a passion to work in the food industry, who are independent and resourceful, prepared to go overseas for at least a, a period of about 10 months um, and to be committed to the food industry. Again, they can come from in the talent where we're really looking to attract a pipeline of talent uh, that would be available to the to the Irish food industry. So we're not we're not we don't recruit exclusively from uh, the food sector, um, and people can come from from any different sector. But generally, the the type of um, experiences that that help candidates are uh, include some element of client management or client interface in their experience, that, be that in business development role or uh, sales or marketing or some commercial, generally helps. But we, we have recruited people from, from all different uh, sectors and different roles. Number one thing is that people are committed to working in the food industry, otherwise Borbia um, and ultimately the taxpayer loses the, um, the investment in, in our people uh, as it's a scholarship programme. Well, commitment would be one attribute, obviously, but what about other personality traits or characteristics? What would you be looking for in candidates? Yeah, uh, independent and and resourceful and can-do approach um, to uh, getting projects done. Uh, we obviously train people up, so we don't we don't expect people to come in and to be expert in in business development or marketing or sales in in terms of the food industry. We we cover that off in a very intensive um, eight-week induction program. Um, so the, the types of things we're looking for, as, as, as I said, are people who are committed, who have a background in some shape or form in uh, whether that be client, dealing with clients, uh, communication skills are obviously really, really important, people management, managing stakeholders, all that kind of stuff. Um, are You know, there's no one thing that would... Um, exclude anybody but generally speaking we're looking for those kind of creative people. Now those 20 to 25 people as you say there's some academic learning classroom based learn, learning there plus the, the practical side of things where they go out into the market and I believe that they can generate a substantial amount of sales. Yes um, I mean the, the, the programme has been running since 2009 as a real credit for be a very uh, progressive initiative and the two main aims one is to help food and drink companies small and large so it ranges from small artisan producers right up to the big uh, players and the likes of Kerry Group, Plan B, Ornu and so on and we're trying to help them grow their key international markets and a recent study has shown that uh, from the in, uh, from the activities of one group of our fellows um, they contributed additional sales in the region of 30 million over a three-year period. Right now, it's difficult to measure this, but that's a, that's a good indication. And but there's also the second um, objective of the program, which is to develop a pipeline of talent, which I was discussing a moment ago. And there's very high hopes for at least some of these people coming becoming the next industry leaders. Do many of them actually end up staying with a host company after the the program? Yes, quite quite a number. It's a great opportunity from, I suppose, two ways for for the company to get a good look at uh, the participant, but also for for the participant to get a good look at the company. So, um, yes, a lot of them, I should start off, the vast majority uh, secure really good jobs in the Irish food, food industry. Uh, some of them based abroad, some of them back here and travelling over and back to various markets as, as required. Um, and a, a number of them stay on with the fine companies. They would each work for four uh, Irish food companies, which gives them a very well-rounded um, understanding of the various sectors within the food industry and, and also experience. And it gives them a lot of um, a lot of ammo for come, come interview time. Uh, and, and it sells very well. Uh, because they're talking about um, genuine challenges that face, face Irish companies and their involvement in, in addressing those channel, uh, challenges and coming up with um, um, solutions and implementing um, business development uh, on the ground locally then for these companies. Give us an example then of a person that, that has actually is maybe on the programme at the moment or has done it in the past. Yeah, well, somebody close, uh, close to your uh, area or w- within your area, Canula Door from, from Bal- Baliagran, if I'm pronouncing that properly, 
Um, she uh, is currently a, a participant on the fellowship program. She's based in New York, so she spent eight weeks doing our induction with us in Dublin at the start. She also spent about a week in each of our client companies here in Ireland, getting to know them and so on. And then uh, she went to New York at, uh, at the end of July last, and she'll be there uh, until June, excluding uh, some block release for modules and training at Christmas and again at Easter coming. Um, and Manula is, is doing great work. Uh, she's working on behalf of four four client companies. In uh, one is a drinks company, alcoholic drinks company. One is uh, meat. One is fish, seafood, and and then there's a, a gluten gluten free uh, bread product company, um, which is another, which is her fourth. So she's doing fantastic work, and and I think getting a lot out of it herself as well in terms of her career development. Um, so generally most people stay on in the food industry after it's said so it's uh, great prospects um, it's fully paid for which uh, uh, which I guess is unusual these, these days it's a full scholarship program uh, and there's a bursary as I said um, so it's a great opportunity but we are looking for um, people who show potential um, for um to work within the Irish food industry. Well, I'm sure there's not many people would turn up the the opportunity to, to spend some time in New York. So Fanula sounds like a lucky girl. Day to day, what sort would she be doing market research to find potential customers for the food companies that she's working for? Yeah, good question. Um, so generally speaking, uh, the client assignments that we undertake, that they're all focused on business development. So, so improving... Uh, the Irish Irish food export position, uh, which is for being remit, and so the program falls falls underneath that. Um, generally speaking, then um, the nature of the clients, the client assignments, include some element of market research, uh, but that's very much on a, at a practical level. Level, it, it's about getting, it's about Fanula and her fellow uh, participants on the program, um, getting a good understanding of the local market through, for example, going to supermarkets and uh, doing audits of various products uh, in the market and doing an analysis of and a review of the market um, in respect of what their client company is about. And then trying to uh, understand and gain insight from that information to come up with some sort of strategy for the client company so that, that that they can sell into begin to sell into that, that market or 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 continue if they're already there to win win more business and new categories within that market. So that's generally speaking there's a market research element uh, um, and strategy development. Uh, and then the second phase uh, would generally be implementation of that strategy. So developing the business, thinking about marketing uh, better on behalf of the company uh, and trying to win business Generally speaking, um, a lot of the business, a lot of the key wins for Irish food companies are in three areas, uh, retail, manufacturing, and food service, which is food service would be the trade and hotels, and pubs, and all that kind of uh, uh, prospective business. Um, so, so getting listings in supermarkets is, is, a, is a key uh, area of focus, um, and we've had significant success over the years on the fellowship program on that. New York is a wonderful destination. Where is the furthest afield that somebody has been sent? Yeah, well, um, we have, so there are English-speaking locations, so in some cases we need fluency in a particular language, uh, in a second language. So uh, if any of your listeners have languages, that, that's great. But if you don't, it's not an absolute requirement because you have plenty of English-speaking locations. Um, so the locations would generally include um, New York. Furthest afield would be New York, Moscow. Although that might be questionable this year as a as a location, we're not sure on that. Um, Dubai um, in the United Arab Emirates. That serves the, the Middle East and people who go there get fantastic experience in in, in that area. And I believe uh, there is a lot of demand for Irish products in Dubai. Yes, uh, it, it's um, it's a very important market because of the size of the various markets locally, Saudi uh, and so on. Um, but it's also um, seen as a gateway to the African markets as well. 
for in many ways for for the Irish food industry. Uh, so that's a key market. China is 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 one. We went to India before, uh, not this year. Canada is, is one this year. And then there's a whole pile of European um, cities: Paris, Dusseldorf, um, Stockholm, Amsterdam. Um, sometimes Spain, uh, sometimes Italy. They're generally the location. Poland. Uh, we're very interested in Poland. Um, I think I'm hitting them all there. Okay, there's a great spread there anyway. A fantastic opportunity for those 20 to 25 people. Um, As you say, their two years work experience, languages can be useful. And it's the Board BIA UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School 2016 International Marketing Fellowship Programme. Where will we direct people, Connor, so that they can find out more details? Yeah, so if you... Uh, if, if any of your Google, uh, just uh, sorry, if any of your listeners Google uh, Borbia Marketing Fellowship, uh, it'll come straight up. Or um, Smurfit School, um, Smurfit School. I'm not looking at it now. So yeah, SmurfitSchool.ie/Borbia. Okay, perfect. Well, listen, all the best with the recruitment drive. I hope it goes well, and we look forward to catching up with you later in the year. Thank you very much for having me on. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to a second helping show of The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. This show is a collection of previously aired interviews and is available to listen to on The Best Possible Taste podcast with lots of other previously aired shows. And you'll find that on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Next, it's an interview with an inspiring cancer survivor, Patricia Daly. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. Patricia, let's go back in time to 2008, 2009, and you mm-hmm. were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, that's right. It was in 2008 when I was 28. It came completely out of the blue. I just had a bit of flickering in my eye and a sort of temporary loss of vision and thought after about two months of that going on, I thought I have to get it checked out, but I didn't really have any headaches or anything or any pain and uh, yeah the diagnosis was um, really uh, a big shock Um, initially they were just saying it's detached retina but then um, a few hours later I was with an um, ophthalmic surgeon and he said yeah it is a detached retina but because of a tumour malignant melanoma and I I hadn't really heard of tumours in the eye or anything but Um, It was very rare, especially at my age, so I had to go over to Liverpool to get treatment because at the time there was no treatment available in Ireland. And that's what I did, Uh, so I had plaque radiotherapy and was very successful. Uh, Shrank the tumour in a short space of time and we thought, brilliant, Uh, I got pregnant and then we had a baby end of uh, November in 2009, so about 15 months after treatment. Uh, but then shortly after giving birth my symptoms were back and I knew something was just not right but then it took quite a while a lot of backing and forthing to actually um, then get the tests done and uh, in May then they said yeah the tumour is right back it's uh, it grew even bigger than before and uh, in the meantime I had also it had spread to the outside of uh, the eye so I had to go and have more radiotherapy and then in 2012 um, I just struggled with all the side effects we didn't quite know whether the tumour was really not active anymore and uh, I was presented with two options either doing Avastin injections to um, help with the excess blood vessels I had in the eye or removal of the eye and that's when I asked for a bit of uh, time uh, a few weeks to, to try uh, a metabolic approach to cancer, the so-called ketogenic diet. And um, yeah, the rest is pretty much history. I mean, it's it was amazing, the effects, yeah. So in that short space of time, in three weeks, you looked at your diet, you did research online, you completely overhauled your diet and you adopted this ketogenic diet. And that had a very positive impact on the tumour. 
Yeah, I had done my research before. Um, I obviously, like I think most cancer patients, I was constantly researching, especially because I was already a qualified nutritional therapist. I was researching my options and had come across it way before already. So it was all in my head. <laughs> I just needed sort of almost permission to go and try it. Uh, because before, my consultant always said, don't do anything extreme. Just, you know, let's wait and see. And I didn't take any supplements i was very careful and just did as i was told uh, but then when he said okay just go ahead and we monitor you and it was literally within um the space of of weeks yeah it was probably four we had to go in i think every four weeks for monitoring and um and yeah it was just the effects were amazing yeah well tell us what is the ketogenic diet what is it yeah it's it's a low carb high fat and moderate protein approach so it's um, not like for instance Atkins that is quite high in protein as well it is a metabolic therapy so it's very powerful it has very uh, wide-ranging effects on metabolism and so the way we create energies in energy in the cells basically from food and water and um, yeah, it's basically teaching the body to burn fat, uh, mostly fat instead of mostly glucose. So most people uh, throughout the day, they would mostly be sugar burning. Um, and uh, whenever you have a, a dip, you know, you get dizzy and um, maybe a bit shaky and cold. And that's when you know, OK, my blood sugars are uh, going towards a bit too low. So let's eat something and especially eat carbs to push blood glucose up again. And does cancer love carbs and sugar and glucose? Is that what it kind of thrives on? And if, if we take that out of the diet, can that inhibit cancer? Yeah, there is more and more evidence now. I mean, it's not brand new evidence. There was actually a well-known researcher in Germany back in the 1920s called Otto Warburg, who established that cancer cells had a different metabolism than um, healthy cells. And it's it's quite a long story, but basically um, healthy cells, they can uh, make more energy by using the powerhouses of the cell, the mitochondria, for, for people who are interested in technical terms. But cancer cells, they, they're damaged. So what they do is just splitting glucose So um, outside the mitochondria. So they need to take in a lot of glucose or sugar into the cell to generate, help their growth, to generate energy and to survive and metastasize in uh, spread in, in some cases as well. So they are very dependent on um, that process, the sugar splitting process, and they have more um, yeah, insulin and uh, glucose receptors than healthy cells as well. Whenever people go on to special diets when they have an illness such as, as cancer, what immediately comes to mind is juicing and it's not very pleasant and it's a re it can be quite difficult to do but having looked at the ketogenic diet there's lots of really nice food in there mm. give us an example of what you'd be having for your breakfast lunch and dinner yeah i mean as you say it's it's um whole foods there's nothing miraculous or sort of funny ingredients that you can't get in a normal shop really so for breakfast there's uh, you can for, for instance have eggs um, scrambled in some coconut oil with some spinach um, or you know a boiled egg as well and uh, just adding a bit more fat in in some ways and uh, lunch could a typical lunch would be in the summer for instance a, a big salad so greens uh, green leafy vegetables are very important as well and uh, added some oily fish so sardines or mackerel i like to have smoked mackerel when when i have very when i have very little time and uh, and then yeah just adding leftovers for instance as well from from the evening meal and a nice dressing um to yeah get get the fat in um, or in the winter I have uh, a little bit of um, soup or bone broth and uh, I throw in some spices and herbs and uh, again some some leftovers or uh, then in the evening I, I like to encourage people to have organ meat I know a lot of people are sort of yuck I'm not gonna eat this so when you, you say like liver and yeah liver okay. kidneys um, uh, there are also people who have access to a good farmer they can they can get any 
any organs really that uh, and it's there's lots of nice ways of making these so I make uh, liver pate or I use um, kidneys to make sort of um, I grind them up uh, in a food processor with butter and a little bit of apple to take the taste away and uh, some spices and onion and then I put them into muffin trays and bake them in the oven and it's really nice actually. Yeah, it sounds nice. And uh, yeah, just top it up again with um, non-starchy vegetables, so uh, broccoli would be great as well. Um, and also, you know, anything that is in season, asparagus is a great food. It sounds like the green vegetables are very much the vegetables that you're going for, that you want to steer away from the likes of the, the potatoes, maybe even the carrots and beetroot because of the, the carbohydrate levels that are in those. But you have a tip for the likes of beetroot and, gar- and carrot mm. in that you advise people to ferment them. Yeah, exactly. Or there's more and more great companies now, the Culture Club, for instance, that sell um, the fermented foods. So sauerkraut, carrots, beetroot, um, they're all really beneficial for the gut flora, so gut health as well. We know now that the good bacteria in fermented foods, that, that they can help with digestive health and then that translates into better immune health as well. And um, I feel that these are very important and it gives people the opportunity um, to, yeah, by the fermentation process to actually reduce the carb- carbohydrate count and that they can have those foods, whereas if they're raw, they wouldn't be able to, to have them because they are very starchy. I want to ask you then about if you're enjoying a high fat diet, a low carb diet, and the protein is kind of coming in between, does that have an impact on the other organs in your body? Yeah, it does at, as, at the beginning, especially when uh, we are transitioning into uh, making energy in a different way. So certain organs, they have to work a bit harder and have to get used to, to that. Or it's just working in a different way. It's not necess- necessarily harder. But the liver, for instance, has to produce a bit more bile uh, because bile is required for emulsifying and then also absorbing the fat. So obviously, if there is more fat, uh, there has to be more bile at the beginning and so really supporting the the organs that have to work a bit harder also the the pancreas has to change the the amount of enzymes it produces for instance so more enzymes to um, absorb the the fat in this case and um, so it's just a matter of supporting the organs that uh, have to change quite a bit and just uh, giving them uh, the right support at the very beginning is important. So digestive and liver support would be uh, sort of the priorities for me, especially at the beginning. But then uh, usually uh, they get used to working in a different way and then it's fine. And when somebody does adopt a ketogenic diet and you call it going into ketosis. Yeah. And then you are in ketosis. So it, it takes a while to kind of find yourself in that state you do recommend that they discuss it with their oncologist and they get certain blood tests done yeah i mean it it is mainly just to exclude that there's no underlying uh, conditions or for instance the liver is struggling or there's something with the kidneys or anything we need to address first or also there are more more and more people undiagnosed with diabetes type 1 diabetes and that can be dangerous so if if an individual isn't able to produce insulin, then a process called um, ketoacidosis can happen. It's basically a metabolic disorder where glucose goes up, but uh, ketones are up as well, and that's very dangerous. So to make sure there's definitely nothing wrong, I highly recommend yeah, having, having support and doing certain uh, medical tests before starting out. So what would the steps be for somebody listening that maybe is suffering from cancer at the moment and they think, gosh, you know, maybe this is something that that they should be looking at? What would the next step be? Where could they go for information and, and, and obviously talk to their oncologist as well? Because I think it's important just to remind the listeners that you are a qualified nutritionist. You have been a, a cancer sufferer in the past, but you're also a qualified nutritionist and you you are qualified to talk about this. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I do 
much prefer if oncologists or any medical person is on board, whether that's also you know through the GP for monitoring for certain tests. And I don't always get this support, uh, but I I notice that I have a lot of international clients, and uh, I do feel especially in in the states, I actually get referrals from oncologists or. More and more people find me because they said, oh, well, my oncologist asked me to go into ketosis, to um, especially coming towards uh, treatment, to just look into it as an option. And um, so that's the ideal scenario. And if somebody has uh, no support, uh, what I do with my clients is I have a, a research sheet, a, a handout that I give them to take to their oncologist. And the oncologist can actually then look into the research and go through the medical literature him or herself but it is I mean obviously they're not trained nutritionists nutritionists they that's not their job so I try to give them as as much support as possible and make make it easier Uh, and I think it's just it's a concept that is really not known at all um, in a lot of um, hospitals as well and it's it's so emerging and it's so cutting edge and we are waiting now to get the results of the first uh, human clinical trials, so very um, strict studies, but it will probably take another two to three years. And unfortunately, as a cancer patient, you don't have the luxury of time. And that's why we are trying to make it as safe and as effective for patients who want to go into ketosis. So there are some good resources. I have my website where I give a lot of free information. I have ebooks as well with uh, meal plans, which I think is very important that um, people initially, they get a very clear idea. That's how a typical day looks like and um, that they get as much knowledge and education as possible. I also have a, a short uh, online course for people from all over the world who can learn more about ketosis and you know what the caveats are, how they can do it safely food choices and um, that's all video based to make it as easy as possible for people. Um, And you're bringing a book out in April with Dominique Camp. Yeah exactly so that's going to be another great resource and we have lots of um, expert opinions uh, in at the beginning of the book uh, from mainly also American scientists and oncologists who really uh, confirmed that this is um, a dietary approach um, or it's a lifestyle that has a lot of potential to be used alongside conventional treatments. And it's a book that has um, research. It's the most important research for people to understand what the basic concept is of the ketogenic diet. But then it especially has a load of practical tips and recipes. And I think that's just what people need. It's um, lots of ideas and variety. Uh, so that it doesn't get boring and um, it's very simple recipes a lot of my recipes are put in the blender and whiz and bake <laughs> and uh, it's it's nothing you don't need to be a sort of a master chef to be able to cook those those meals and they're not time consuming either and it's not just for people that are suffering from cancer especially Dominique's part is uh, the low carb approach we call it just to teach people to embrace the fats and to just look into how they respond when the the carbs are lowered, um, how their energy is, how their general well-being is. And uh, there's a, actually a, a very good questionnaire as well. So how carb tolerant or intolerant are you? And I think that gives people a really good hint. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, this I have this and this and it could work for me if I look into just maybe replacing some of the carbs with fat. And uh, that's really just for general health as well. And especially, I think, also energy, which I think is very important and quality of life, which I've seen can improve in in a lot of people if they just make some some tweaks. And following a ketogenic diet, then, can that actually prevent you having cancer if you are maybe higher risk? Because there is some talk about, is it a metabolic disease or is it a genetic disease? Yeah, I mean, that's... I guess where the research is going at the moment as well and there is research that shows if a person has constantly high blood sugar levels um, and that could be for various reasons it could also be for stress for instance which is yeah a bit of a concern um, because we all tend to be more and more stressed 
that yeah, if, if blood glucose is high all the time, which is something called hyperglycemia, um, then that can actually stimulate certain pathways that can cause cancer. And also if insulin um, is constantly high, we know that again, that can stimulate cancer growth and insulin is elevated when we have a high carb um, diet. So it's, it's good to just, you know, get your head around all these different aspects. And I am convinced that there's a lot of steps we can take to protect ourselves. Patricia, so many questions, but unfortunately, no more time. If we direct people to www.patriciadaily.com, that's probably yeah, the best exactly. place for them to go. Thanks so much for talking to yeah. me. Best of luck with the book. We'll thank talk you. to you again whenever it comes out and continued good health. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste, which features previously aired interviews. We're at the final part of the show and it's a recipe thanks to Kenmare foodie, Karen Coakley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, welcome back to the programme. Hi, Sharon. Thank you for having me. Tell us what you are cooking up for us tonight. Okay, I have a lovely new recipe on my blog and it's also on my Facebook page, Kimmer Foodies Ham, but it's for a courgette, butter bean and ham soup. And it's one of these soups that I just kind of came up with one day here. I was in the mood for cooking and wasn't quite sure what to cook and had courgette in my fridge. Butter beans are something that I have in my store cupboard all the time because I think we've spoken about this before, just they're a fantastic thing to have, but also the kids take them to school in their lunch boxes and make a salad with them with tuna and all of that so I just kind of thought of teaming the courgette up with the butter beans and then I had some beautiful pancetta from Gobine and West Cork which has got a, like a, a sweet salty smoky flavour to it now you can use a regular pancetta or parma ham if you want to um, just you know cut it into chunks and so basically yeah this is my soup so you have the courgette it's a really light lovely flavour and then the butter beans like give this a lovely creamy texture and then add to that the saltiness and the smokiness of the pancetta and it's a real lovely kind of a warming soup. Talk us through then how you make it. Do you fry up an onion first for example? Whenever you're making soup Sharon always fry. You always fry off everything first. So whatever veg you have um, you sweat them for about 5 or 10 minutes. Season them with a little bit of salt and pepper because when you sweat them this is what gets the flavour going at the start of your soup. Sometimes people tend to put vegetables into a pot, cover them with water, bring it to the boil and blitz it and they wonder why it doesn't really taste too good uh, because that's really, you need to you need to get all that flavour out. Like if you think about it, if you take an onion and when you put an onion into butter or oil and when you slowly cook the onion, what happens is it caramelises and that caramelisation process is actually all the sugar being released in the onion and of course there's your flavour. What kind of oil do you like to use? What do you recommend? There's so many oils out there now that I'm sure people are getting a bit confused between rapeseed and sunflower and olive oil. It's one of those ones that I kind of run away from because, number first, you're not supposed to be using oil. Then they're saying oil is fine. You know, this whole debate about fats, no fats, good fats, bad fats. So for me... um, I just stick with what James Coffey is a chef. He's from West Limerick, actually, in the Park Hotel here in Kinmare. And James had said to me a few years ago, he was doing a cookery demo, and he said, olive oil isn't really supposed to be used for cooking. And it's down to, let's say, the temperature. It can't reach a high enough temperature. So he always, and as well, then they say it's carcinogenic when you bring it above a certain degree. So for me, I always use sunflower oil, you know, and then you'd have people who'd be saying to you, you shouldn't be using sunflower oil for da 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 But you know what, it works for me and it's just, I've tried rapeseed oil but to be honest, sometimes I've gotten like a, a bad flavour off the rapeseed oil, I probably shouldn't be saying that because I'm going against the grain, but I've had two bottles of rapeseed oil where they've just had a really funny smell and a funny flavour I don't know if anybody else has come across that but it has stopped me from using it, so I just stick with plain sunflower oil So warm it up in your pan and put your onion in and sweat it over over a low heat, because I think some people might have the heat turned up too high and that's what causes it to burn then And then you burn it and you put the lid on so like a medium to low heat put your lid on, 
And of course, then what you have, that's the whole sweating process because the steam stays inside there. So it sweats. You take the lid off, it'll just, all that steam will evaporate. So give that about five or ten minutes for your onion and your courgette. Um, oh, garlic. I've garlic in there as well. And I never put garlic in soups, but it just seemed to make sense to me. So there's garlic in there. So fried those off. Then I took those out of my pan, put them onto a plate, and I put in my pancetta. Now, if you have a pancetta that has a good fat, you know, good lot of fat in it, don't bother putting any more oil in because you have the, the oil in the pancetta. But if you think the pan is too dry, then put a little drop in. So again, cook that so that it goes nice and golden, but make sure not to burn it. So put everything back into the pot and then add in your butter beans into the pot with your stock and everything else and let it simmer for about five minutes and then give it a whiz. And what you'll find is the beans actually make it really, really silky and creamy. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then what I did was I served this with a dollop of creme fraiche and that added to the creaminess again. So it was really, really nice. And would you keep a few of the little bits of pancetta for garnish to put on top of the creme fraiche then? You're a step ahead of me. That's a great idea, and I didn't think about that. But, like, I was in that midweek for ourselves. Um, but you know what? I, on my blog, I think I said, or in my food column, because I've put this part of my food column as well, that it's a lovely one if you've got friends around for dinner. So definitely, if you were having friends around some dinner, for dinner, crisp up some little pieces of the pancetta, you know, some nice thin pieces, and sprinkle them over. It'd be delicious. We always have soup. There isn't a week goes by when I don't make soup, and it's the kids coming from school, they have soup. My own lunch, soup. I'm always saying about how healthy it is, how nutritional it is. It's low fat, it's cheap, it's versatile, and I just think it's one of the best things in the world. It is a great way to get the vegetables into the children. It is, absolutely. Yeah, I think I've said before that my daughter loves broccoli soup. Yeah, you did say mm, that. And she loves the one soup that I don't like. Yeah, she loves broccoli soup, and it's a great way because to use up the stalks and the parts of the broccoli that we wouldn't normally be eating. Yeah, and uh, that's the thing; you can use every part. And my father-in-law, now he's not a fan of broccoli at all. Though to be fair to me, he will always eat a small part of it if I put it on the table because I keep telling him how good it is. And yeah. he's had broccoli <laughs> soup I don't know how many times in our house and he thinks it's vegetable soup. I think if I told him it was broccoli soup, he wouldn't eat it. So we haven't told him that. Yeah. Do you know what I have going through my head here and I don't know where did I see it? Is it like a cauliflower and almond soup? Did I taste that somewhere? These are the kind of things that like, you know, get flashes in my head and I'm thinking, did I try that somewhere? But it's the kind of thing then that I'll probably take it to the next level someday and cook it. But I just think cauliflower is creamy and, you know, you could have almonds in there and other flavours. So there's so many things you can do. And it's great to use up the stock parts of some of these vegetables that would normally be going into the, the waste yeah, bin, the food waste bin. absolutely, because I'm a no-waste person, as people are finding out, especially people on Snapchat who are following my video um, recipes. I've had a few people tweeting that what they actually love and it's that fact that there is no waste. So if I'm finished with one dish, you know, if I have something left over, it'll quite often be the start of the next dish. We look forward to the cauliflower thanks, and Karen. almond soup here next time. OK, Karen, thanks a million for talking to us this evening. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. That brings us to the end of this second helpings of the best possible taste. Thanks so much for your company and until next time, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!